All righty. Well, thank you for uh, coming for a little Esther today. Um, chapter two is where we ought to be. So please turn there if you would. Uh, if you would, um, Papa's going to pray for us again. Alistair Begg was really neat in, in uh, chapter two, talking about Esther being an orphan, adopted, attractive, and am amenable. Yeah, she's a, did she's he a, sing those songs that he sang? Yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's we better not sing those songs. He's a he is a funny guy. So anyhow, um, we have some uh, stuff. We're really thankful to have Jared uh, with us today. Jared Smith guest lecture on Esther. So uh, Papa, how about praying for us and and uh, we'll go to work. Lord God, thank you for your providence, uh, and we need your providence as we exposit this text. Uh, you're in the heavens and you do all that you please doing. Thank you for uh, in lifting up Cyrus and Cambyses and uh, Darius the first and Xerxes and Artaxerxes, all uh, Persian leaders to uh, protect your, the remnant of your people uh, in Persia. And that's where the story of Esther takes place. And I, I thank you, Lord, that, that, that through these kings, through your uh, providence, uh, that you've protected them. And that's what we're talking about in the story of Esther. So be with us this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm, amen. Thank you. Um, Papa has some historical background. Might be hysterical. Historical, think, Papa? Hysterical. Yeah, hysterical, hysterical background here. Um, but if we could, Jared, how about starting us to read verses 1 through 4, and uh, then we want to go to Papa to hear about kind of what kind of time frame here, because we've uh, we've lost a year or two or four since uh, we were here last week, hadn't we? Uh, yes, four yes, of them. yes, that's indeed true. Okay, um, Jared, how about 1 through 4 to start us? All right, Esther 2. After these things, when the anger of King Asphorus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the Haram in Susa the Citadel, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the woman. Let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Good, Papa. Um, we 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 begin in in uh, in chapter one, and that's in like the third year of his reign, I believe it says uh, in verse three, in the third year of his reign. And then we go to two, and it says after these things, after what things? Um, number one, uh, Vashti has been vanished; uh, she has been removed per the uh, order of the king. Um, then in Esther uh, 2.12, uh, you know, there's the, the cosmetics, and um, I think 2.12, turn came for him, uh, beautification process, and 2.16 would be when she, in the sixth year of the reign of um, Xerxes, uh, she goes into the king. So it's a little confusing, but there's some also some other events that happened that I think have an impact on the story. Uh, there was, at the very beginning of his reign, uh, Xerxes 
fought some insurrections in Babylon and won and fought some insurrections in Egypt and won. So that was how the story sort of began. Uh, between chapters 1 and 2, uh, 1, he's got this big six-month feast as we talked about. And you wonder why he would have a six-month feast and have all these military people. He was planning an, um, a campaign into Greece. Now, his father, uh, who was Darius I, uh, was defeated in Greece one time. And so his uh, brother-in-law and cousin talked him into going back into Greece. Greece was not a problem at this time. This is 150 years before Alexander the Great. It was just one of those things that he should have been a little more astute about. And he went to Greece and he was defeated. Uh, he expended a tremendous amount of the treasury of Persia in that campaign, lost and came back to escape uh, with his forces to Persia. And so he's, he's dejected. So in that uh, event, we begin chapter two. He comes back home and he doesn't have a queen. He's defeated. And there we go. Yeah, it sounds like when, uh, from the way the commentators talk, and it's a little bit hard to know this for sure, I guess, but after these things, when the anger of King Xerxes had abated, he remembered Vashti and maybe in a little bit of regret. Was that what you? I mean, that was the impression I had. I mean, you know, he was in a, a stupor. When he made that decision, he went along with his advisors who said, you know, uh, get rid of her. Yeah. And, and he followed their advice, which he had a tendency to do. Mm -hmm. He didn't make a lot of his own decisions. Yeah, it didn't seem like. Can you tell us, fascinating, Papa, that you found out that they felt like they were closer to the gods or could hear from them when they were in that stupor? That's really interesting. They and this is whoever Herodotus, the Greek historian, said that, that, that when they got inebriated, they felt like they had a better uh, uh, communion with their gods, whoever the gods happened to be. Now, this was, it was probably Zoroasterism was in vogue then, and that was a monotheistic system with a dualistic, um, you know, good and bad, but nonetheless, it was still pagan. So That's a bad idea. I think so. Whoever came up with that. Jared, bad idea, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Would um, you help us there on one to four? What do you What do you see? Well, first of all, I want to get into a little bit of application here. I think we need to understand the evil of King Xerxes. I think in Esther we can get a little bit, a little bit sidetracked with Haman, and we say, well, he's he's out trying to exterminate the Jews. He's doing all this stuff. But we need to look at things as they are here and say. Xerxes is acting on anger. He's acting on impulsive feelings. He's kind of irrational. And it, it, it reminds me of the, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man a little bit. Like all it says in, in that parable is that the rich man feasted sumptuously every day. Mm -hmm. But we see the judgment is that he's in the lake of torment. So I mean, I'm kind of going back to what, what Mark said this past summer about how sin works. It's not always... It doesn't always come in through the front door. Sometimes it's a little more deceptive. So we need to look at our own hearts in this situation and be like, are we, you know, maybe I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not trying to exterminate the Jews or anything. But am I consolidating all this wealth? Am I living in luxury? Am I living for myself? 
So that's the big thing I, I see in this first chapter here. No, it's, that's interesting. And man, certainly he is. And then, and it does seem like instant gratification is the name of the game for him, isn't it? Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. How about anything um, else there? It just seems like, um, you well, know. I, got, go ahead, I, I do have one quote I, I think I shared with you, and this was a um, uh, historical quote on Xerxes. And, and I'm not picking on Xerxes now. I will say this to frame this. His father, Darius I, was probably the, uh, the best administrator that Persia ever had. And he's the one that consolidated Persia. He had all the satrapies. He had all the organization. He built the superhighway. He built the mail system and all that. Uh, his son, n not so much. One commentator said of Xerxes, a sovereign by divine right to whom opposition was as annoying as sacrilege, nervous in temperament, fallen from youthful fire into indolence, incited to make a war he didn't like, and that's the Grecian War. Uh, insolent, that's um, laziness, uh, indolence, uh, slothfulness. Mm -hmm. um, he came back after this defeat, and he spent his time, Herodotus says he spent his time on his harem and building his, a monument to himself. Yeah. Wow, and that just goes on what Jared's saying earlier. That he is um, he's wicked uh, through and through. It's interesting, and I think it was Alistair Begg again talking uh, a little bit about him. He's short-sighted. He's all about instant gratification. Um, when he's looking for a queen, it's not looking for character. He's not looking for anything about what she looks like. Or at least this is what the attendants do. And the attendants might have not had their um, always the king. Um, in mind too, I think in two two when the the king's young men who attended him said, "Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king." So they might have been interested in hanging around uh, these girls as well. But um, you know they have the short sighted plan. Here's the great news though, and you know we've already talked nine minutes, probably too long, without uh, remembering this. Xerxes thinks he's in control. Or Xerxes planners think they're in control, but God is in control this whole time. And that is the great thing. It was really interesting hearing Alistair Begg talk about even in what Esther looked like, that was God's design to allow her to win the beauty contest was not accidental. God gave her her looks. He gave all of us our physical, just what we look like. It was God's design, too. And so, uh, you know, he went on, and I thought it was a pretty good application to just say, we ought to just trust God. He made us look like just like we do. And that was, in this case, you can see a little bit of the purpose. Maybe in our case, we don't know what the purpose was, but it's perfect, whatever he decided to do. And uh, I like that. Jared, anything else from one to four there? Uh <coughs> Yeah, control is definitely a bit of an illusion for the unbeliever. They want to they want to assert their dominance over the creation and over their their future because it gives them a sort of comfort, but for the Christian, you know, we exercise faith. We we put that in the hands of God and it makes 
our lives a little more challenging, but there's also a great reassurance in being able to trust God in controlling the outcomes of the events. Yeah. And isn't that our biggest battle to also sometimes think we're in control or to take, oh, even as believers, when we need to be trusting God, what do you think of Papa? Well, I was just thinking about, you mentioned the, how we're made, and, and I, one of the commentators made a, 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 a point about how many times beautiful is mentioned. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I mean, that's obviously that's the, that's the own, own criteria, not character or pedigree or anything like that, not faith, not belief, but beauty. And then you've got this elaborate beauty treatment, as, as we'll, we'll find out too. So not only was the candidate to be beautiful uh she was given a year to apply all this uh, the makeup artistry i guess in order to be more beautiful more presentable yeah more desirable so, and again it's just this banal yeah 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 banal's a good a good word there i'll look that up later but i'm pretty sure that's probably right <laughs> look at verse five here now there was a jew in susa the citadel whose name was mordecai the son of jer son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem along captivity, uh, along, among the captives, carried away with Jokainai, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. Three times carried away. Papa, it made me think, I bet you you know a little bit about this exile. It sounded like... Um, the, that was a more traumatic thing than what probably I'd ever thought about before when they were exiled. Well, first of all, there was a, a Nebuchadnezzar had like three different campaigns against Jerusalem. So, and, and he took took captives to Babylon on three different three different occasions. Hmm. And I think uh, probably the um, um, Mordecai was in the in that last group. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, you, you get ripped from your home. Let's just say somebody comes into Athens or Watkinsville or wherever you live, in Madison County, my gosh, and, and takes you away to Fulton County. Oh, my goodness. Then you're going to be facing quite a trauma, mm-hmm. uh, quite an adjustment. And, and uh, I don't know. I, I think Nebuchadnezzar pretty much kept them under wraps and kept them constrained but the persians actually gave them some degree of freedom as far as i know and and macarthur says that that um in persia they moved a lot of the jews from babylon to other parts of persia so that's that's how they wound up in susa yeah that's interesting jared anything on uh five six there seven um i think it's interesting that mordecai went through this trial of having to be carried away, but that did not stop him from being faithful. Mm. We see in the next verses that he's the one that's bringing up Esther. Um, this trial had not you know, made him fold or anything. It, it emboldened his faith in God, and he continued to bear fruit. Um, I have a verse from Jeremiah 17 that says, He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So as Christians, trials shouldn't, you know, knock us down. When the when the storms come in our life, we should be emboldened through them, and that should be strengthening our faith. Yeah, that was good. I like the way one of your points, Jared, was 
kids' ordinary faithfulness. Is this a good time to talk about that a little bit? It just seems like he's a really steady guy in this in this story. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't doing anything crazy. He wasn't doing anything supernatural, but he was just doing the mundane acts of a faithful follower of God. Mm-hmm. And he didn't care about the glory. He didn't care about any of that stuff. And God rewarded him through that. Um, it it kind of reminds me of the story in Elijah where he's looking for God in the hurricane. He's looking for God in the whirlwind, but he finds him in the still small voice. Mm-hmm. And sometimes God works through these more mundane things. And we see what, what the result of all this was, is that Esther ultimately becomes queen because of this these simple actions here. Yeah. Well, yeah. she was, um, excuse me. Go ahead. She was the daughter of uh, his uncle, and she had neither father nor mother. And apparently, they, they, they the parents died during the um, um, captivity. Some sometime we're not given that bit of information. Providentially, right? Oh, providentially, all this happens providentially. Mm-hmm. He does. God's in the heavens. Yes, he is. And and this young woman, and and he mentions that she had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And again, that's providence. Mm-hmm. He, he, she was knitted together in her mother's womb exactly like she was supposed to be. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her. And that's a big responsibility to take on as a, as her cousin and uncle, a uh, young girl. And I, we don't know how old she was, but to, to raise her in, in a foreign land. Now, that was also foreign to, uh, to Mordecai because he was probably second or third generation of the uh, captives that were taken to Persia. Yeah. And you you have to love, and please, again, for application, think of your own life. Think of where God has you, where he brought you, who who your parents are, all of those things. I I just put down a few things that that were interesting to me. Um, Amy, my wife's dad, was in the FBI. He learned Polish. He became a lie detector um, in Chicago. And uh, so Amy's going to go take care of her ailing grandma, but grandma goes to heaven. And uh, her dad gets stationed in Myrtle Beach. So Amy moves to Myrtle Beach. She's trained by the navigators at Miami of Ohio after she becomes a believer. And so she picks Surfside Prez. It's a little more reformed right down her um, Allie, she's just crazy, gifted with children. That's the way the Lord made her, impresses our pastor Riddle with the way she could uh, take care of kids in Bible school and just how good she was with them. So uh, Pastor Riddle was my um, dean of men. He's the one that got me set up at Columbia uh, Bible College. He called um, one day in January um, I remember it was two degrees in Nebraska. It was 66 <laughs> in Myrtle Beach. And I thought if it's 33 times warmer in Myrtle Beach, that's where I need to be. Is that the way that works, Max, Dr. Um, Hakama, kind of? Good, thank you. And that's I, I did it. In, that is, in my mind, that's 33 times. It's got to be better. So I felt called to Myrtle Beach right there to work with uh, Pastor Riddle. Um, and so. You know, our routes are all orchestrated. We get there. I met him in 1988 because he was the dean of men at the Bible college. He moves in 1996 uh, to Myrtle Beach. 
Amy's in the same single group as as we are. You know, my attention's caught by her character and her beauty. And, and uh, you, you know, that's a three-minute story. If you went back to our great, 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 great grandparents, it's like a seven-hour story, right, how all this happens. But all of that is God's purpose and his design. And once again, our life is so different if we remember that. The providential hand of God has been has brought you to right here in Esther class, right here at 220. And that's um, so, I think it's so enjoyable to think of it like that because he'll be faithful with the um, tomorrow and the next day and the next day as well, providentially moving through through every situation. So verse 8, well, verse 7, he was bringing up Adassa, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother, and a young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and the edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, the custody of Haggai, um, Esther was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young women pleased him and won his favor. The young woman did, Esther did, and he quickly provided her with cosmetics and a portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Uh, Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in from the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Mordecai took good care of Esther, you see. What do you guys see from uh, from those verses there that stands out? Um, I see a young woman very much like Joseph in a way that's cooperative. You know, Joseph, uh, uh, in spite of the fact that he was taken as a prisoner, uh, over Potiphar's household, quickly won his confidence mm-hmm. because he was cooperative and he did what he was asked to do. And even when he got thrown in prison, he won the confidence of the jailers because he was cooperative. And and so I, I don't read anything into this other than she uh, uh, found pleased him and won his favor. She won she his was, favor. Yeah, she was... Yeah. She, she didn't. I don't think she necessarily courted it, but she was just polite and, and winsome. And, of course, it doesn't help to be attractive, too. But nonetheless, I think that's what was going on. No, she must have been quite a young lady in that, Jared. Um, yeah, a lot of the commentaries want to go into this question of whether or not Esther was sinning by assimilating into the Persian culture. And I don't think there's enough evidence here that we could actually read that in. But what I do draw from this is I want to go off what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So I think as a believer, there's a way that you can almost cooperate with the culture that you're working in without, you know, sinning against God, like don't go bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol or something like that. But there's a way that you can, in innocence, cooperate 
for the purpose of God's will. For us, that would be like maybe you, you talk to a coworker about something very surface level in order to ultimately evangelize to them and share the gospel. For Esther, that might be going through the 12-month beauty process in order that she would be queen, in order that the Jews would ultimately be liberated. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Papa, did you lean one way or another as Jared brings that up? Because they were people, commentators were all over the board, and I swung kind of with them. Sometimes I think, man, Esther, she probably wasn't keeping the Sabbath. She probably wasn't eating the right food. She probably didn't do all of that that she should have. Certainly, it seems, slept with a pagan queen um, before she's married. I mean, we've got a lot of stuff that on on one side looks shady. It's just hard to know a little bit. Well, I, I, I struggle with this a little bit myself, but, you know, you, I always uh, go back, again, I, I, um, to the historical context. Uh, she was not just taken into captivity. She'd been there. She was raised in Persia. This was her home. I mean, she didn't know what Jerusalem was like. In fact, that's one of the biggest reasons why this particular group, especially this far away from, from uh, Judah, didn't go back. Uh, they didn't know anything else. And I, I really wonder sometimes, and history's kind of silent about it, what they practiced. I mean, they didn't have synagogues. They didn't have the temple. They, I, I don't know what Mordecai, and Mordecai was in the same boat. I mean, he was also a second or third generation captive. So was he a practicing Jew? I mean, he knew of uh, their legacy. But, uh, and so, you know, she's, she is just being who God made her to be. And so, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't judge her. It's easy to sit here in the 21st century and say, center, uh, but then someone could say that about me too. Yeah, and I really like what you're saying there, Jared. Since the Bible doesn't go into that, that maybe isn't something that we need to, because it doesn't say, you know, on what was she right and on what she was wrong. One thing that was interesting, I think it was Matthew Henry that said, all truths are not to be spoken at all times, although an untruth is not to be spoken at any time. And so they decided, or Mordecai really, um, let Esther know to say, do not let Abe know that you're a Jew. And uh, once again, God providentially uses that. Jared? Um, I think just one more thing to note is that when the time comes for action and for us to do God's will, whether that be like evangelize or in, in Esther's case, it's having to go into Xerxes and risk her life. We have to act. We can't just, you know, go through this whole process of getting to know somebody and then just leave it at that. Like God calls us to take the next step and um, share the gospel with them or, or do his will in that sense. Yeah. That's really good. Um, there's also, as far as not letting her her background be known, there was a degree, in spite of silence, perhaps in, in Esther, there was a degree of anti-Semitism already in the world. Mm. We know that from Ezra when they went to rebuild the the, the temple, uh, they had they had problems from from the Samaritans, and they had the problems from the Tobiads. And in fact, they even stopped the building of the temple because 
they didn't want the Jews to come back home. They didn't want them to build the temple because they knew that this is, these were neighbors and secular neighbors. They knew that that temple was the center of their worship and that uh, Israel would become strong, Judah would become strong again because of their faith and they tried to resist that. So that's, uh, Mordecai I think just to protect her, uh, he didn't do that to protect himself so much because he, yeah. he let it be known who he was. And there's some, indi while we're on the subject, there's some indication that he may have had a position. You notice they keep talking that he's at the, at the gate and, and that seems to be a place that you have some administrative responsibilities. Mm. The, the leader, I don't understand that, but that's, uh, think of Boaz's story. He was at the city gate mm -hmm. because he was a leader. And I think uh, Mordecai was somewhat a leader in that culture. Yeah, well, and we're going to come to where he's sniffing out the assassination um, plot, which might certainly have been part of that there. Papa, how about reading 12 to... Uh, how about 18 and uh, a lot of meat to chew on here. Be glad to. Um, Esther 2.12. Uh, now when the turn came for each young woman to go into King uh, Xerxes after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women. When the young women went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go in to the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her in as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken into King Xerxes, into his royal palace, in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight, more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast. I thought about you. You're always talking about feasts, Jerry. Oh, yeah. Well, I like a good feast. feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He was granted a permission he also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Yeah. And there's one thing. He loved to, to throw out his uh, money around oh, a little he did. bit, didn't he? He did, and that became an issue. With yeah. No, it, sound, it sounds like it. Jared, some interesting things from those verses there. What do you have? Um, well, I was reading this, and I noticed it was... Very Christological, actually. I, I, it almost was like there was, it was an image of the final judgment. So you have these seven women here who are able to put on anything they want. They can beautify themselves, put on any cosmetics they want, and they would go in before the king. And then you have Esther, who it says, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the woman, advised. So we have these two groups of people, and only one gets selected. Only one gets to win the favor of the king. 
So in the first case, the seven women would represent the people who go before God, the Father, with all their works. And they have beautified themselves and they've said, um, is this going to win me favor? And they think, they think it will. A lot of religious groups operate in that system. But then you have Esther who submits to whatever Haggai advises. So in that case, you would have the Christian who goes to Christ and whatever he puts on her, however he dresses her, he, uh, Christ imputes his righteousness onto us in the same way that Haggai works here. And Esther is the one that ultimately wins the favor of the king. Yeah, really, really interesting. That's what an a- interesting perspective because it says that the young, um, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Yep. Good. Anything else, Papa, on that? No, I mean, I, I just, it's, it's a process, but, but now, you know, he's taken with her and, and puts the crown on her head and she's suddenly yeah. the queen. No, Beg says she got fast-tracked right to the <laughs> right. right to queenhood. And um, queenhood. She, is, she is now there and it, this sets up everything in Esther, as in everything in our life, is setting up the next process, isn't it? So this sets up this, sets up this, sets up this. And that's what makes it a remarkable read, this book. You know, to just read it through, it's such a fantastic story, if you will. But, um, boy, when you see God's providence in it, and again, don't miss that in your own life because that's exactly what's going on. How about Jared finishing there, 19 to 23, um, just because there's so much interesting here at the end. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Oh, I love that last line. It's just written there like it's, ah, oh, wow, they wrote it in the Chronicles. But it's coming back to, coming back to uh, change things later. Don't you see? It's not Esther and Mordecai that are the heroes of this whole book. Um, once again, God's name is not mentioned, but obviously he is what this is all about, to bring him glory. Um, in the end, Josephus said there are 400 women um, probably in this harem, in this harem to be right. yeah, getting chose from. That's, it's only going to be um, Esther, and it's no surprise that Esther gets, gets chosen Jared. What kind of insights do you have from those last five verses there? Um, the major thing that stands out to me is that Mordecai seems to have a heart for the unbelieving king. He sees that he's in danger and he goes out and he takes action to ensure his safety. Now, it doesn't say whether or not Mordecai was concerned about his own interests there, but we know it, it's very different than what Jonah was doing with Nineveh. God told him to go tell them to repent, and God had Nineveh's interest in heart, and Jonah refused at first and tried to run away. But Mordecai once again displays his faithfulness to God in this section. Now, 
That was really good. Yeah, when 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 you sent that note, I thought that was uh, interesting, and I would have missed that altogether. I love that point. What what do you think, Papa? Well, it could be somewhat self-serving too. Of course, as he protects the king, he's protecting Esther also. Uh, you know, if he doesn't get assassinated, then she's not going to get assassinated. And so, uh, and I don't mean to to insert a spoiler alert, but he does get assassinated in the last year of his reign hmm. by a plot inside the palace. So uh, this happened somewhat frequently in ancient throne rooms and just because you were the king didn't mean that you were safe. So. Yeah. It wasn't Big Fan that got him the next time. Cause no, no, Big no. Somebody Fan got, yeah. Biggie, like his Biggie. friends called him. Biggie. That is always quite a name to me. MacArthur says this is somewhat like, a, it's kind of funny for MacArthur, but like a chess game. You got, you got, you know, the 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 two guys uh, sitting at the gate, play, yeah. playing and then check. They're on the gallows, you know, mate, checkmate. So, no, and Mordecai um, smells a rat there, um, boy. And I I thought I found it interesting. I don't remember which commentator said this, but when you read um, verse twenty three, there isn't any reward for Mordecai at this point. It was just recorded in the book of the Chronicles, but um, later on, God's going to um, use that in a, in a great way. Uh, Hebrews 6.10, one of them pointed out, God is not unjust. And I had forgot this verse was in Hebrews 6.10. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him wow. as you have helped his people and continue to help them. And uh, that's a, uh, a great thought here about um, the way Mordecai um, is being used to to get Esther to the throne, or to get to save the Jews through Esther um, now being the queen. Um, final thoughts. Well, we just we've already mentioned this, but because he was at the gate, then he was able to detect this plot. So yeah. that is a, whether that was an official position. I think it had to be, or you couldn't hang around the gate. So yep. And took, took pretty close uh, watch on Esther. Oh, there too. Well, that was the way he was able to send messages via the eunuchs to Esther and in turn receive messages. Yeah. Now a little bit back and forth there, Jared. I just think it's so interesting in this story how all these characters, um, they're in their own little worlds, just acting on their feelings and their impulses. And we see God just behind the curtain with these little verses and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So God is always, people might mean something for evil, but God is always meaning it for good, ultimately. Yeah. And I, I do feel like now we're in week 28 of the Providence series from the 26 that we had kind of through the summer and then now into Esther because that is just so key. And I need that in my mind. The reason that I think a book like this is so key and, and beautiful to think about and enjoyable to read um, is that about Tuesday afternoon, I'm going to forget that when things are going a little haywire and it doesn't look good. I'm not going to be, it's not going to be natural for me or probably for any of us to remember that God's completely in control of all these things. And, um, and let's say that um, Esther and Mordecai, because both of them are sinners too, aren't always doing the right thing here, right? Let's say that they're sinful in that. 
remember what Joseph tells his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant God for, meant good. for good. And so all of this God orchestrates, whether this is always completely right, the people aren't going to be completely right in anything, but no plan of God's can be thwarted. God is in control. He's providentially using everything in this story, but he's using everything in your life as well. And so I just think that that's such a, um, that's an incredible thing to think about. And once again, we would be amiss to not say, you know, the sins of worry, um, fear, would you say, um, any kind of regret, condemnation, those sort of things that can tend to get us pretty good and uh, rob us of the joy that we really should have um, should be out the window. Well, I, I do think, like just like your story of your meeting Amy, Amy and the providential nature of all that, we've got those same stories in all of our lives, mm-hmm. and we need to regularly rehearse that thankfulness in our prayer life and, and, and in thinking about God's providence and how he's working. Yeah, no, I think so. And I, I like that, Pop. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, though. no. But, and to tell others about that. Oh, absolutely. Do you know that Jerry met Amy on the beach? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a you know, her from all the way from Chicago and us from Nebraska. Jared, final thoughts there. Don't, um, being a young guy, as opposed to Papa and I here, <laughs> Um, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna throw me in there with you, Papa, on this one. Uh, the, if you think about God's providential hand at this time of your life, how impacting is that? And I know that you've, you know, kind of that, since you've been a believer, that's kind of been your, your thinking, but. Yeah, I've, I've, I've only been a believer for a, a few years now, but. I've seen God, you know, provide for basic needs. I've seen God bring people into my life that have been an encouragement to me. And I know I have a full life ahead to live still, but it's it's just reassuring to read stories like this and see that God has declared the end from the beginning. Yeah. And he is the end in the beginning. So there's there's no need to have any fears. Yeah. One other thing, too, that, that I thought really interesting, and it is related to what you just said in Jerry, God's providence, Herodotus, uh, in his, and he was a pretty, for his age, uh, date, he was a good historian. He uh, testified to there is an official list recorded in Persian archives naming the king's benefactors. So the fact that they even had this document enabled, and we won't <clears throat> spill the the alert right now, but the, the fact that this this document existed and it was recorded that uh, Mordecai helped the king, mm-hmm. you know, now you more got, fruit, even though not immediately. Now you have everybody curious and are going to be reading that story. When Probably Mark's it wouldn't hurt them. Talk about Matthew 9 and people are going to be in, ex, in Esther chapter 4. That'd be confusing. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And I want to say when the king can't sleep, Again, talking about what we shouldn't be talking about because we haven't got, got there yet. <laughs> Who wants to read the Chronicles? That, there you go. Maybe that's the reason. Yeah, that's why you read that boring stuff. Because you'd say, and maybe it's just because it's about Big Fan. 
So Bruce reads logarithms and tables and stuff. Yeah, like that. same deal. Michelle puts all of us to sleep, right? Not that deal. Good, Jared. How about praying for us and uh, especially thanking the Lord um, for for that? Oh, one other thing that I'd love to pray about, Jared, if you would, is a really neat opportunity that David Linder um, has starting tomorrow. I think Mark's gonna um, mention it too. But uh, he gets to go on a really neat trip to Africa and uh, get to be able to teach. Um, man, it sounds like kind of all kinds of people. He's going to be in western Kenya. Um, he's going to be in Tanzania. Um, and a lot of good opportunities there. Um, he was explaining to me this morning how there's false teachers over there that are really, um, Elizabeth, you might even know this guy, calls himself Elijah, goes all over the countries there, and just proclaims himself to be a big wig, and they treat him like that, and his health, wealth, and prosperity, gospel, through and through. And so David's going there to fight that and to talk to them about deception. And I just think, oh, how great. Do you know that guy or is there numbers of them probably? Are there really? Is that just a growing deal out there? I know it gets us here too. Hmm. So fascinating. So I would love for us to pray for um, uh, David and his friend from Jacksonville that are going there together and then they work with local pastors. And it sounds like they really get a lot of people. They'll feed them. They'll, get, they'll buy a, um, two cows, he said. And butcher them there, and the ladies will make them over uh, just open pots, and it'll be quite a uh, a, f- a feast both a ways. Feast. Yep, spiritually and, and physically. So, uh, and then for Jane too. Well, he's gonna be gone two weeks, so that we could pray for for David and Jane both there. Jared, you pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we get to come together and go through the Book of Esther, and I pray that you would give us wisdom so that we could understand what you've you've written down and what you're trying to teach us and i pray that you would reassure our faith through this god i pray that you'd be with our church and you would build your body and i pray that you'd be with mr linder and the missions work that he plans on i'm going on and pray that you use him to spread your kingdom lord in your name we pray amen amen get a chance read chapter three but not during church